Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here and the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Today we're going to talk about interactions with immunotherapy. Um, maybe drug interactions, some people might call these. Uh, now, drug interaction is, is a term that a lot of people think of as black or white. This drug interacts with that drug. It's a yes or no. It's dichotomous. And, and maybe that's not the best way to think about that um, as, we, as we look at this data. So we're talking about whether or not antibiotics, corticosteroids, and cannabis interact or affect the effectiveness of immunotherapy. So we're talking mostly PD-1, PD-L1 inhibitors like nivolumab or atezolizumab. So first, let's talk about uh, antibiotics. Um, now, there is um, this is coming from a nice review article in the Annals of Oncology by Elkreef and Rowdy uh, from 2019. Uh, and the, the primary author here is from, uh, from Montreal. And there's a fairly clear association uh, with poor efficacy of PD-1 and PD-L1 inhibitors with the use of antibiotics at the time of starting immunotherapy or, or taking antibiotics prior to starting immunotherapy. So the title of this article is The Negative Impact of Antibiotics on Outcomes in Cancer Patients Treated with Immunotherapy. So as a background, uh, the intestinal microbiome of patients uh, who respond and don't respond to immunotherapy differs. So there's some, so there's some, uh, some scientific evidence, and this is now uh, you know, the big it thing. Everyone's looking at the microbiome, microbiota, and how that affects response to this, that, uh, and the other. Um, so we know this, that there are different microbiomes of patients who respond and don't respond uh, in non-small cell lung cancer melanoma treated with uh, PD-L1 uh, inhibitors. Now, when we think about why PD-L1 percentage or tumor proportion score uh, is uh, an enriching biomarker, but doesn't necessarily predict who definitely will and who definitely will not respond to immunotherapy. There are other factors at play, other factors in the immune system, uh, likely, maybe microbiome is part of this. Uh, there's also supporting data in animal studies, uh, supporting data in patients who um, are receiving uh, an allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplant, and that the microbiome might be uh, predictive of who's going to relapse or not. So there's a lot of this compelling data that dysbiosis or an alteration in microbiome can have uh, an impact and a decrease in immune response. And that's the theory here is that antibiotics lead to dysbiosis and affect immune therapy response. So uh, this paper by Elkreef and colleagues in Annals of Oncology in 2019 uh, described 12 studies, and generally they're all retrospective, and they all kind of go like this. They, they look back at patients who got antibiotics near the time of immunotherapy, those that didn't, and then uh, receiving mostly PD-L1, PD-L1, although a few of these studies, I think for them, patients also receive CTLA-4 inhibitors like ipilimumab, and then look at the efficacy. Uh, and just to give you an example, here's the large these studies. This is by DeRosa and Hellman, uh, Annals, on, Annals of Oncology 2018. They're looking at two cancer centers, in, one in Paris and one in uh, New York City, 121 with renal cell carcinoma, 239 with non-small cell lung cancer. 15% of those roughly received IV or PO antibiotics within 30 days of starting immunotherapy. Uh, and they included anybody that had any antibiotic, but it turns out all the antibiotic use was for treating infections, not prophylaxis, for example, and using a multivariate Cox regression model to look at efficacy outcomes. So most of these looked at progression-free survival and overall survival. A few looked at response rate and at progressive disease. 
So of the 12 studies described in this review, 11 of them showed that, you know, uh, peri, not operative, but peri treatment use of antibiotics was associated with decreased efficacy, either PFS, overall survival, or overall response rate. The one study that did not show an association with decreased efficacy uh, had the largest window of antibiotic time. So, for example, the study that I referenced by DeRosa and Hellman, they, they looked at patients receiving antibiotics within 30 days or one month prior to starting immunotherapy. The study that did not show any association, uh, that window went all the way out to three months. And the implication here is that if the antibiotics are two to three months ago, that that dysbiosis caused by antibiotics in the, in the microbiome and the GI tract goes away and reverts back to uh, the patient's baseline uh, prior to treatment. So most of these other studies looked at within one month, 14 days maybe, or even two months. So one month was kind of the median. So, But 11 of 12, that's, um, you know, 11 of 12 showing similar results is certainly very interesting. So the implications here, one, I think there's a clear association that antibiotics are associated with decreased efficacy uh, with this. Now, does that mean, uh, does that prove causation? Absolutely not. Why are these patients on antibiotics? Uh, are they sicker, for example? Um, sick patients usually don't do as well. Um, and then if we if um, we take a very, very, um, you know, 30,000-foot view, kind of an outsider's view, uh, you might say, well, if the immune system is fighting an infection, that's why they're on antibiotics, they have an infection. If the immune system is fighting infection, can it also fight cancer as well as if it wasn't fighting infection? In other words, is the immune system too busy uh, with these antibiotics? So is it really the antibiotics and the dysbiosis? Or is it something uh, maybe a little bit simpler and the immune system is just trying to do too much? Again, that's a little bit out there. Uh, immunologists would say that's crazy. Uh, I think it's a reasonable thing to ask. Um, so, you know, as always, we're not going to use antibiotics that we wouldn't need uh, in our, our current area of antibiotic stewardship. We're going to limit antibiotic use to only those that really need it. Uh, so what really this means, I think, is that we should start looking at antibiotics as a baseline demographic in patients receiving immunotherapy. So if you're doing or designing a retrospective chart review study at your institution to look at uh, anything with immunotherapy with regards to efficacy, you might want to track antibiotic use 30 days before uh, receiving immunotherapy because that might be a confounding variable in whatever it is that you're trying to study. So that's antibiotics. Next possible drug that interacts with immunotherapy are steroids. And maybe this is kind of, uh, you know, duh, based on immunotherapy's mechanism of action. If we give an immunosuppressant like a corticosteroid like prednisone, it's going to decrease the efficacy. However, patients on high doses of baseline corticosteroids, and when I say high doses, I guess I mean real doses, so doses above 10 milligrams of prednisone equivalent, were largely excluded from all these registry studies with nivolumab, pembro, tizolizumab, etc steroids are obviously used in the real world. So I think this is an important question. Uh, so do baseline steroid use actually decrease the efficacy of immunotherapy? Now we know if you get immunotherapy, you start on nivolumab, two doses later you have an immune-related adverse event and end up getting high-dose steroids, that that does not necessarily uh, decrease uh, the benefit you would receive from immunotherapy. We do know that. So three studies I want to go over. The first one is Scott and Pennell, 2018, in the Journal of Thoracic Oncology. And this is uh, data from the Cleveland Clinic. So uh, 210 patients uh, with non-small cell lung cancer treated with nivolumab. 31% of those, um, uh, which would be 66 total, 
uh, were on more than 10 milligrams of prednisone equivalent within the first 30 days of starting immunotherapy, the other 59% were not. So basically no steroids versus 10 or more. So 31% had steroids within the first 30 days, uh, 60% did not. The median overall survival was 4.3 months in those on steroids within the first month of immunotherapy compared to 11 months uh, with a p-value on multivariate analysis of 0.006. So that sounds bad for steroids, right? Uh, Well, why were these patients on steroids? Well, 27% 27% of those patients on steroids had brain meds. You know that brain meds is a very poor prognostic for patients with all cancers, and that is true for lung cancer. And 21% had COPD. Uh, so again, patients on steroids were likely sicker. So uh, the next study I'll talk about is Arbor and Mesquita from JCO in 2018, looking at 640 patients. And this is actually the same two hospitals in New York City, uh, Sloan Kettering, and then in uh, in Paris, uh, Gustave Rossi Cancer Center um, that we talked about in the antibiotic study. So same two centers, 640 patients uh, with non-small cell lung cancer receiving PD-1 or PD-L1 therapy, and 14%, so 90, were on more than 10 milligrams of prednisone equivalents at baseline. And the reasons for dyspnea, 33%, fatigue, 21%, and then brain meds, 19%. And using a multivariate analysis, uh, they show that there was an association with worse progression-free survival and overall survival. And uh, they present the median overall survival results for the hospitals independently instead of, uh, instead of pooled. So median overall survival in the Memorial Sloan Kettering cohort was 5.4 months with baseline steroids compared to 12.1 months. Uh, in Paris, median overall survival 3.3 months compared to 9.4 months. So fairly similar, and both of those values are statistically significant. Uh, the third study looking at steroids and immunotherapy I want to talk about is uh, Ricciuti and Dahlberg. Uh, and these are researchers from Boston publishing the results uh, this calendar year, 2019, in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. They looked at 650 patients with non-small cell lung cancer on immunotherapy. or 90 were on 10 milligrams plus of prednisone at baseline. And by the way, that that cohort is strikingly similar to that second study by Arbor and Mesquita. You know, 640 versus 650 patients, uh, 14% baseline steroids versus 14.3% with the 10 milligram prednisone or more. Now, 58% of these patients in uh, the Boston study were on uh, 10 milligrams of prednisone or more for brain meds. Median overall survival here, 4.9 months compared to 11.2 months, also statistically significant on multivariate analysis. So all three of these studies have congruent results with a median overall survival of around four to five months for patients receiving immunotherapy with non-small cell lung cancer um, on baseline steroids or steroids within 30 days of starting immunotherapy in the case of the first study. And then 11 11 to 12 months median overall survival in those not on steroids. So there's, again, a clear association, and there is a good biologic uh, hypothesis behind why being on steroids at baseline would decrease the effectiveness of immunotherapy. Again, a significant portion of the patients in the steroid arms had baseline brain meds. And they weren't just brain meds in general because in the second study, they actually, uh, you know, you can see the force plot where they show that brain mets, uh, that was significant uh, as a risk, but it's not just they had brain mets, but they had brain mets that were causing some edema that were likely, you know, severe brain mets in, the, in terms of requiring these patients to be on steroids. Um, so there's probably some mixture 
of a, a drug interaction with steroids, as well as people, uh, the, disease, the underlying disease state in patients with brain meds and the inherent poor prognosis of that. So those are the, those are the steroids. The last one I'll talk about is cannabis, and there's one study to talk about, uh, Taha and colleagues, T-A-H-A, and this is published in The Oncologist uh, this calendar year, 2019. This is 140 patients from Israel um, on nivolumab for either melanoma, renal cell carcinoma, or non-small cell lung cancer. 89 of these patients received single agent nevo. Uh, the remaining, so that's what, 51 uh, or had nivolumab plus cannabis, and cannabis was provided by six cannabis companies. And apparently, these company, these, the cannabis offered had uh, slightly uh, variant uh, percentages of uh, THC and CPD. And what they found is that there was a lower overall response rate in the group that was taking cannabis. So the overall response rate was 37.5% with nivolumab, but it dropped to 15.9% if those patients were. Uh, taking cannabis as well. There was no association with progression-free survival or overall survival, however. So, does this mean anything? I don't know. Maybe. And I think that's the proper <laughs> interpretation from a retrospective study in a heterogeneous group of patients. You had three malignancies here, relatively small sample size, but certainly interesting and something worth looking at. It might even be a good research project for you at your cancer center. Now, that being said, I do want to bring up a recent publication by Lisa Holly and colleagues um, from Connecticut uh, looking at how they document medical marijuana use in their medical records. So if you're going to go back and do a study looking at does you know cannabis, medical marijuana, THC, CBD, any of this stuff, does it affect uh, response to immunotherapy? A couple things to think about. One being um, you know the potency, how do you know the potency, how do you know the patient's taking it, all that sort of stuff. But if you're doing this retrospectively, how do you know patients are doing this if it's not documented in the medical record? And what uh, this publication, this is in the Journal of Oncology Pharmacy Practice, it's online now from, uh, from Lisa Hollick and colleagues shows that it was, it's challenging to, to get that document in there because it's not necessarily a medication. Where do you put it in the med list? Where do you find it? And even after some education, uh, there was still some trouble in getting people to document whether or not patients were taking medical marijuana and I guess there's an assumption that they do divulge that they're using medical marijuana. Um, and then there's the whole uh, issue of if it's not medical but illicit marijuana use or cannabis use, uh, how is that going to be divulged by the patient and documented? So three classes of drugs, well, two classes of drug drugs, antibiotics, corticosteroids, and then cannabis, uh, potentially decreasing the effectiveness of, of immunotherapy, um, and maybe that's too strong to say decrease in effectiveness, but associated with poor uh, effectiveness and, and efficacy in retrospective studies, just to, just to put all the qualifiers on there. Certainly interesting things to think about uh, and stuff that I think is uh, good food for thought for the Oncofarm community. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Appreciate all the uh, the five-star ratings in the iTunes store. The reviews, those are wonderful. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDietnip. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And feel free to reach out if you've got any questions uh, or if you have any ideas for future episodes. So once again, thank you for listening. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Doses matter.